Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Daily Objective. We're going to be talking about the latest news out of Italy, who just elected what is who is being called the most uh, right wing leader or the white most right wing party since World War Two. Well, that brings back memories, doesn't it? Anyway, we're going to get into this. Uh, some of us are really up to date on Italian politics, and let's just say others of us need to freshen up. So we're all in this together. Let's figure this out. Here are my co-hosts uh, representing the fascist side of the argument. It's Nico Sotiracopoulos. I'm joking, mostly. And we've got Mark Pellegrino, the actor and uh, political opinion man. What's up, man? Not much. So uh, I guess, uh, Nikos, why don't you get us started? Uh, we, we know you're the most informed generally on things taking place outside the United States. Yeah. So Italy is the Disneyland of European politics. Every crazy thing that you could imagine has happened since World War II and even before World War II in Italy. So what happened is that in the, in the snap elections that were called for yesterday, Italy is well known for its political instability. The winning party is Fratelli d'Italia, Brothers of Italy. Why is it called this way? Because Fratelli d'Italia is the opening lyrics of the Italian national anthem. By the way, one of the coolest national anthem. If you haven't heard it, put it on YouTube. But put it when uh, there's uh, before an important football game, when the whole team is kind of singing it in, in passion. So this party won. This party is led by a woman. She's the first female prime minister in the history of Italy. She's called Giorgia Meloni. Now, uh, see, the, the elections were characterized by low turnout. So it's not that uh, she's this super charismatic person and everyone in Italy can't wait to vote for her. And uh, she will lead together with two other parties, which you probably have heard before. The Liga Nord, the League of the North, which is led by Savini, a guy who was... The, who was also involved in a previous administration. So again, a Eurosceptic and right-wing populist Italian party being close to power is not something unprecedented. And also the party of Silvio Berlusconi, who has had various... Uh, uh, he has been the prime minister various times from the 90s to the 2000s. He's 85, but hey, he's the Cavaliere. He can do whatever he wants he's still around. So it's going to be a coalition government of three different parties, in some ways anti-systemic, particularly uh, compared to mainstream politics, in some other ways, though, not very anti-systemic. So we're going to ask two questions today. The first question is, is this really a return to fascism? And should we be really worried with what is happening in Italy? And a second question, completely different from the first, should we, people who are in, interested in freedom, people who are interested in individual rights, should we be excited about uh, this anti-systemic turn in Italy? And spoiler alert, my answer to the first question is no, this is not fascism 2.0. The answer to the second question, shall we be excited, is definitely no. So two no's. Hmm. Uh, so Eurosceptic means like reluctant to be part of the European Union? Uh, mostly means? being... So Eurosceptic is someone who is not very excited with the prospect of giving more uh, power and sovereignty, so to speak, to the European Union. Now, just to clarify, the brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia and George Meloni, does not want to take Italy out of the European Union, does not want to take Italy out of the euro. So in rhetoric, 
she's, she's more critical of the European Union than the average Italian, let's say, mainstream politician, but she does not want to take Italy outside of the EU. One of the reasons for this is that Italy is expecting 180 billion, with a B, euros from uh, the European Union in the forthcoming uh, period. And they have there's there are a lot of money they've taken for COVID release or for other reasons. So I don't expect to see her in a collision course with the European Union. Although many people in the European Union are not excited with uh, a national populist or national conservative, as we would call her, being in power. So this is the big picture. Now we can uh, discuss it from various different angles, but back to you guys for your first uh, reactions or thoughts. Oh, okay. sorry, one, one more thing, one more thing, which is very important. Why are people really uh, worried and people really saying, hey, this is a neo-fascism? So, Giorgia Meloni used to be a youth party of Italian social movement. What was Italian social movement? It was a big umbrella party that, has been, that had been around since 1945, and it included people who were loyal to Mussolini. So it was a neo-fascist, at, at least at the beginning, a neo-fascist party, but also it was a party which was quite big, and it included from people who were nostalgic of Mussolini Two people who were uh, more, who were closer to the mainstream of the Italian right, to the mainstream of the Italian conservatives. So Meloni was part of this party, and this is why many people will say that she has a neo-fascist uh, past. Also, in the past, she has uh, given some comments about Mussolini, things like, "Well, he was a he was a good leader," and uh, and things like that when she was young. So this is why you will hear many people talk about this. It's about this link with this party that doesn't exist anymore, which was the party that was, let's say, a party with ideological references to Mussolini. Taking into account how crazy Italian politics was post-World War II, this was not even the most dangerous part of the far right in Italy. The far right in Italy was involved in terrorist activities, in violence. So this was more like the mainstream part of the far right in Italy. So again, Italy, completely crazy politics. We could do a whole episode about the crazy post-World War II politics of Italy. Uh, Mark, were you about to ask or, or comment? Uh, well, I, the only thing I know about her is, is anecdotally through some uh, friends of mine over there. And um, what's her what's her position on LGBTQ, LGBTQ um, rights and... Uh, and uh, immigration. So the two main selling points I, of uh, yeah, I left out. But I, 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 it's okay. I woke up at three o'clock this morning to work. Say so you woke, you left out one of the alphabet letters. I did. I did leave one of one of them, not deliberately. But I'm going to get trashed for. I think I left out the T. Excuse me. So the two main selling points of Fratelli d'Italia were immigration predictably, but also culture wars. So Georgia Meloni, you could see her being in CPAC uh, some uh, months ago. She's been uh, close with Viktor Orban, the leader of Hungary. Uh, she has been in contact with Steve Bannon, the guy who was uh, the ideological, let's say, guru of Trump. So in a way, she's a culture warrior. Her selling point is that she's a culture warrior. So she talks a lot about issues that the American countercultural right talks about abortion, 
she's against abortion. Euthanasia, she's against euthanasia, which tells you also something about how she sees individual rights. And when it comes to LGBT rights, she, she claims that she respects these people's rights, but she's against things like them forming a family, marriage and parenting. So she's in favor of traditional family. She's in favor of the traditional, let's say, nuclear family. Also, she speaks all the time about identity and she speaks a lot against globalism. So we can discuss a bit more uh, these things because I find it very interesting that the selling points and the slogans of the boring anti-consumerist, anti-globalization left of the 1990s is now recycled by the reaction by the countercultural right. They talk about globalism and how we just want to make us consumers, and by this we are losing our identity. It's like listening to I don't know, like a, a Tyler Durden from the 90s, uh, like a fight club watching leftist. Now suddenly these have become the slogans of the far right, added with their usual stuff about the family and uh, the nation and tradition and all that stuff. So she capitalizes on the culture wars, she capitalizes on her anti-immigration stance, and uh, she claims that she's for the rights of uh, gays and the LGBT community, but not when it comes to things like uh, marriage. And also she speaks a lot of a lot against uh, gender, uh, gender, uh, gender theory. So she's like, uh, she's like Steve Bannon or Victor Orban, basically. Um, do, what do you think of Victor Orban, uh, Nico? So I can, I can know where to place you because if you're, if you're dismissive of claims that this is a, uh, anything to be super scared of. I'm curious, uh, how do you feel about Orban over in Hungary? So I'm not an expert on uh, on Orban. Let's let's do a whole thing on Orban because uh, I don't want to talk about something that I haven't uh, prepped. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm less afraid, let's put it this way, of Orban than many people are. Particularly since I saw his stance, uh, many people thought he would be the fifth phalanx of Putin in Europe. Turns out he wasn't that. Now, when it comes to his legislation within Hungary, he's following a bit the agenda that the national conservatives want to follow and that the Trumpites want to follow, which is the state to intervene in things like education so that it puts away the influence of the left. So they would claim we are we don't want to ban ideas. We just want to make sure that these ideas are not taught to schools. But in terms of particular legislation and what has been his takes on uh, LGBT rights and stuff, I need to I need to check things out more because uh, I am not uh, I I don't know them uh, out by by heart. Now they're intervening in education, you say, but like they're intervening in public education and trying to have influence of other ideas in this public education. And but basically, no, virtually nobody is saying just shut down the public schools and privatize and give people their tax no, no, dollars no. back and let them send their kids to their own. No, absolutely school. not. And actually, Meloni has been has some nationalist policies when it comes also to economics, when it comes to the energy sector when it comes to public infrastructure. So she will claim we, we are not in favor of nationalizations per se, but in some particular areas, maybe this needs to be controlled by the state or maybe the state needs to control the infrastructure and, uh, for example, with communication and maybe the particular networks 
can be can be private. So she has some good policies when it comes to taxes. She talks about uh, the need for uh, lower taxation and all that stuff, but she's not a laissez-faire uh, economist. So it's not like in Brazil where you have Bolsonaro, who's a right-wing populist, but he had some good people around him in terms of uh, in terms of economic agenda. It looks like her economic agenda will be more towards the tradi- the typical conservative stuff, which is far from uh, what uh, from what I would like to see. Also with Orban and with her, particularly Orban though, they want also to appear as being intellectually kind of active in the culture world. So Orban invited Jordan Peterson. They were on the same, uh, on, on, he was kind of his, uh, his, his guest. That was some months before the, before the pandemic. So they do see themselves as fighting the fight against the left, as fighting the fight against the woke. And this is what makes them also quite popular among the American culture warriors. And I can understand the appeal of that. People like when they see someone standing up to this uh, hegemony, let's say, of the left. The problem is that they're doing this by repeating some of the main premises and some of the main beliefs of the left, but that might be another topic. Oh, yeah. the uh, I mean, Viktor Orban, uh, I've heard, said uh, shut down media outlets altogether, just shut down uh, media outlets critical of, of his of his party or critical of the government. Um, and he sp- and he spoke at CPAC. He was like the keynote speaker. Like he was at he opened CPAC and Trump closed CPAC. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, I feel and I feel like some disaffected intellectuals are gravitating towards him. You know, uh, they they've gone over there to speak um, because they happen to be at the forefront of the culture wars. Ellen Barkin just tweeted something that she felt like you know after this election of this person in Italy. that it reflected that we were back in 1933 and uh you know michael malice got on her and i said something to the effect of she's not wrong i mean i do feel like we are just in a war between you know two forms of rabid leftism uh commies and the reaction and and the reactionary nationalists who are still embrace socialism but they just put a flavor on it, like a, a, a nationalistic flavor on it, and and they and they pe- and they paper it over with a, 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 the culture wars uh, to, to to as a palliative, so it goes down real nice. So it goes down a lot nicer than Mussolini and Hitler did. But hey, they're not they're not really that different. And if they get a lot of power, I I, I suspect they wouldn't be any less violent. Oh, yeah. I, she's not wrong. I mean, this this culture war has blinded people and they've made people so tribal that they like they can't even see what's happening. The fact that you have libertarians and anarchists uh, cheering on the overturning of Roe v. Wade, like they're happy that abortion rights are going to be impeded upon because it owns the left. Like, they, you know, it shows the left like how impotent they are. It's I mean, yeah, this is why the world needs philosophy. It needs objectivism. Uh, I don't agree with the comparisons with the 30s, mostly for one thing. In the 30s, you had subjects like human beings who were ready to bring forward this uh, this violence. Think about the Friar Corps in Germany. Like These were people who were World War I veterans. You had feet on the ground who could be the stormtroops of, uh, for example, of Mussolini's Great March to Rome, although that's but more they, like... They learned- 
They learned for a, a Fabian form of socialism works better. They learned that attacking it from a different, that the w- warfare of concepts and ideas and even against concepts and ideas is far better and far more insidious and, and embraces the larger population than outright fighting in the streets. Yeah, we're not getting beer hall pushes, but we're getting, we're getting, you know, people talking in, in nationalistic terms and, 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 cloaking them in the culture wars because people do see how how anti-conceptual and nihilistic the other side is um so it's it's a it's it's now a war waged in the conceptual realm but it's gonna get violent i mean i mean it already has in many respects in america but they both sides are are, are primed for that end and, and that's why I think it's it's not dissimilar to 1933. I feel like uh, I feel like in many respects, Peacock's ominous parallels is coming true before our eyes. Yeah, we're never going to have a perfect parallel to the 1930s because the world is not the same place. We don't have like out and out communists the way we did back then. We've got a new type of left and we have a new type of right. Today's populists. Um, people like Alex Jones, many of them, they probably have virtually all of them probably have a copy of Atlas Shrugged. You know, they see themselves in some twisted way as, you know, John Galt fighting back against, you know, the status. But ironically enough, because they're so sloppy and incoherent, they're ushering in statism faster than anyone. So it's uh, we're not going to have a perfect parallel of the 1930s, but there's definitely uh, there, the parallels are definitely ominous. I would If say. I'm thinking about Peikoff, I'm mostly thinking of uh, his latest, uh, his last book, The Dim Hypothesis. So in very simple terms, Peikoff claims that first comes something which is disintegration, which is basically the chaos that uh, that we've been experiencing. And then comes something which is called misintegration, which means someone who promises you to fix this chaos. And I totally understand the urge that people, the, the will that people have to go beyond this, this, this uh, disintegration. Let me give you one example. Today I was in the center of Athens. There used to be a closed uh, market, which used to have, in the center of Athens, which used to have some of the most uh, elegant shops in Athens. So it was one of my favorite places. So I walked there today and I was in shock. Not a single shop was open. And all you could see was uh, drug addicts, homeless people. So people feel that something has been lost, that something has been, that there needs to be some return to something, some return to some order. And again, I totally understand that. The problem is that the solution is not the authoritarian right. And the, pro- and the problem that uh, these uh, societies are, are facing is not, uh, is not, So, no, put differently. Some of their solu- some of the things they see as the problem, for example, the hegemony of the left, all that stuff, is true. Some of other things they say, as for example, uh, the European Union's immigration policy, there are questions to be asked uh, to be asked there. So, for example, in we saw some weeks ago in Sweden, a brother party of Fratelli d'Italia, Fratelli d'Italia also winning the elections and their main point was immigration. So when for three decades we were not allowed to discuss any of these issues and we, we would, and anyone would be considered like a racist or a xenophobe for even bringing this up that, wait a minute, we need to figure out how this is going to happen. What's go, what, is, uh, what, is our, uh, what is our take, for example, in terms of integration, in terms of... But all these things were out of the agenda. So now they bite us in the back and this is... a uh, 
this is a fertile ground for the for the far right or i don't want to call it far right necessarily the this anti establishment right let's say yeah it seems like everybody uh points to the problems around us and says this is the consequence of individualism like the uh you know the conservatives they look at these strung out drug addicts in the street and they look they look at the uh reckless youth that are demanding their pronouns be respected by at gunpoint um that oh that's individualism unhinged and you know what well i guess what's what's the flip side of that the uh the right the leftists say like oh look capitalism is that's individualism like what they perceive like uh i guess they would say like fascism you know the state and and corporations working in cahoots that's you know capitalism which is you know individuals being unhinged and no regulation stuff like that in various ways people point at what they don't like in society and they say this is individualism left unhinged but um that's not what we mean by individualism we're enlightenment individualists we believe there is objectivity there is a re- there is an objective way to reason and uh an objective ethics and uh we we want a government that protects the right of the individual to behave that way i'm laughing because i can already uh predict they're going to take that clip and turn it into a uh a short here on youtube um but that just yeah sides are too they're both enemies of individualism they they just come at it from a different a slightly different perspective so that makes them both to me since the left is the is 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 the uh is, is the collectivist, what, what we associate with the origins of collectivism, I would say, and uh, well, they're both collectivists. Just one, one side is traditional collectivist, the other side is a socialist collectivist. Neither side gives us a, a solution to the problem. But the, the right is coming up with the, the, the right kinds of words and analyzing real issues that are out there in, in our society that need to be taken care of, but offering all the wrong solutions. And I think the solutions eventually end in violence. I can't see a Trump, you know, future without a great deal of violence. I can't see necessarily this administration moving forward in Italy without some some form of violence. Uh, that's why I think it's like 1933, commies versus fascists fighting each other in the street for political ascendancy. Again, though, let's keep some perspective. In the 70s in Italy, there was literally violence. There were bombings. And people who didn't know, is this far-right terrorist, far-left terrorist? So particularly Italy is a country that has experienced political violence. It's a country that has experienced the assassination of the leader of a ruling party in, uh, in, the, in the late uh, 70s by the Red Brigades. Again, this is a, this, uh, the, uh, the assassination of Aldo Moro. So we could do a whole discussion. I can do a solo at some point on... Italy in the 60s and the 70s, because in some way, almost everything that happens today in Italy is a continuation of this very weird polarization in Italy between the the communist left and the the conservative right. So we're talking about the country where the communist party, there were elections where it was the second party. It was the party that used to control a lot of, uh, uh, of towns, They, they would win local elections. So it's a country that has experienced violence. That's why I'm not very convinced that we are in a danger of experiencing uh, anything close to a new 1930s. But let's hope we're going to be around and we're going to see only time will show. Well, even if there's no violence in the street, like what if, uh, you know, a fascist uh, uh, party peacefully is elected and takes control and starts to implement their policy? Like, is that not fascism then? Because it wasn't. Uh, yeah, but I don't see such a party. I don't think Fratelli d'Italia is such a party. 
and uh, I don't. But so this is way, way far. I'm not saying it cannot happen, but it's it's we're still far from there. We're very, very far from there. And again, we've seen Eurosceptic. Euro sorry, not Eurosceptic. We've seen parties like Fratelli d'Italia around for at least two decades in various countries in Europe, in Netherlands, in Austria, in uh, recently in Scandinavia. Uh, Le Pen in France has been the, the, the second biggest, the second presidential candidate going to the second round two times. And if we add her father three times in the 21st century, so nothing much happened. So yes, the culture is going really, really badly, but I don't think uh, we're going to see anything resembling uh, fascism anytime, uh, anytime soon. Or some would say we're all fascists now in the modern world, but uh, not the not the scariest version of fascism. Um, I will say this: what scares me most is the tribalism of it all. The 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 fact that we have all these people pointing at the other tribe and saying those guys are so evil that whatever it takes to defeat them must be done. Doesn't matter who we align ourselves with. Doesn't matter what we advocate for, as long as we beat them. And of course, you know, the left is the one tribe that this tribe wants to defeat, and vice versa. The leftists. They think that anyone who's not on the left is a is a fascist Nazi patriarch, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that scares me because when people are primarily, first of all, motivated by something negative, their entire the bane of their existence is the other tribe. That's a scary sign. And also they're incoherent. They're not thinking critically. It amazes me how the right wing reactionaries are so good at thinking critically when they argue against the left on certain issues. They're so they're they're good at stopping the left and saying, wait, no, you're not you're not being logical here. But then they turn around to us when we try to make the case for capitalism, for individual rights, as opposed to nationalism. And suddenly they become they love to shut their mind off and go, oh, you're against nationalism. What are you, a globalist? What do you want? You know, like uh, global government. They, they're just so lazy and, and dishonest when uh, when uh, when the case for capitalism and real individualism is made to them. It's very uh, disheartening at times. Uh, uh, you mentioned that. Uh, so. National conservatives, and we've discussed it, and we've discussed it also in a podcast in the New Ideal with Lanzuno. I think national conservatism is the ideology which is closer to this new type of right in Europe. So I wouldn't call them far right. I wouldn't call them fascist. I would call them national conservatives. And if you go and check the manifesto of national conservatives, you see there are a lot of the things you see in this. Uh, uh, anti-establishment or however you want to call it a uh, new right and you'll see there the the collectivism you'll see the well capitalism is could be a good system but sometimes but if it's left to its own device it can lead to so the usual the usual boring and uh, middle of the way stuff which which can very easily lead to authoritarianism and more unfreedom so the idea is you can be free up to the point where your freedom interferes with the interest of the community. Yeah. By the way, are. oh, I thought Mark might be leaving us for a minute, uh, but now Mark is back. Um, yeah. If but, Mark leaves, it's not because he's pissed off with us. He's he's on call for uh, for or both. Uh, for could work. be both. He could. Uh, he could. Did you say something? I was talking. I just the set. That's all. So. Uh, oh. He's on the set. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, it's uh, 
virtually everyone agrees today that the job of the government is to basically engineer society. So nobody is saying the government's here to protect your rights as an individual, or it's rarely, that's rarely said. It's mostly, oh, the government is here to take care of us. So capitalism or free market policies are basically a favor in a sense, or they're seen as um, a, a good policy, like it's the best of all policies, but they don't see it as something that is driven from human nature as like uh, something that the government is here to protect. You know, it's more like the government can get, can allow us to trade freely at, until it's not in the interest of the community, you know? So it, let's say you want to open a strip club, you know, or a por porno theater. Um, no, well, that's not, uh, that's not great for family values and family values are a pillar of the community. And so the nationalist right would say, no, 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 shut down the porno theater because the job of the government is to uh, is to uh, promote family values. Um, so you, you can and you can apply that same pattern of thought to various other uh, industries and instances, such as quote big tech. As soon as it's, uh, it's their opinion is oh big tech is not promoting free speech and it's not promoting you know discourse etc. And it, and it's promoting the left and it's promoting all types of anti-family values etc. Then time for big tech to be broken up, they would say. Um, and, and only today, uh, Michael Gove, who is, again, supposedly the most free market and most liberal person uh, in, uh, in, in English conservatism, he said that uh, there should, something should be done for PayPal because as we are going to a cashless society, PayPal cannot discriminate against uh, conservatives or whatever, which, again, shows you how he does not understand Uh, property rights. If we're going to a castleless society, don't go and buy from places that are going castleless. Go and buy your coffee somewhere which is not Starbucks. And if you don't like PayPal, don't have PayPal. I don't have PayPal and uh, I'm for cash. And uh, even if I have to deal only with one baker and I have to drive five kilometers, I'd rather do that rather than have the government say, uh, no, no property rights anymore. I can tell to a private entity what, uh, what they can do. So I don't like the castle society, but at the same time, I don't like the government intervening in property rights. And that's why one of the reasons why I will be against the new right, I will be against the authoritarian uh, anti-free uh, right. We got some uh, chat room action here. Uh, Robert has been a member for six months and he says, I'd be okay with Italy being a laboratory to show us what far right nationalism will lead to, but I'm very worried about a possible lab leak. I think there's uh, some metaphor <laughs> usage there. Uh, so Joni. We already saw it in the 1930s. Yeah. I mean, uh, clearly people don't learn that lesson, even when it's right there in front of them. Um, they, I think it, I hate to say it, but it, And it is going to piss off some people. But if, if actual Mussolini were around today, people would just as they did back then, they would say, well, at least he's not a communist. Um, Which in a way he was. So Mussolini was a split from the Socialist Party. And actually, when he split from the Socialist Party, many hardcore like Lenin found his split that it kind of uh, it uh, that it it made uh, it made sense. So Italian fascism is very, very interesting to to examine. And it's it's very interesting that. Anyway, we're opening a can of worms here. Well, so it's, it is interesting. So, Mark, yeah. He, up, he just came up with another innovative way to attempt to implement Marxism, right? It just I feel like Lenin saw that, you know, the, the way Marx wrote it wasn't quite working. He had to make some adjustments here. I think Mussolini 
seemed to see the same thing and thought he can come up with a better mouse trap to but to still trap the mouse it's still it's still all about that just a better one he thought and uh it, it all ends the same but i don't don't you think these are just iterations of these are iterations of marxism they're just trying to find that thing that sticks and now they think they've found democratic socialism they think this is the way to usher in these ideas into the world but it's all the same right i've so i've uh i've been on record saying that fascism is like communism on crack it's pretty good Fascism is communism with an ounce of self-esteem because at least you're saying the nation means something as opposed to people, you know, are all are all cogs in one. There's there's sort of a there, there's a different focus. It doesn't just obliterate individualism entirely. Um, so it's sort of just like a, or, or it maybe 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 the best way to say it is is communism with nar- with a splash of narcissism. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's it. I mean, they in uh, the the fascist, you know, you read um like look at look at how family is looked at by both. So you look you read not we the living and the one communist is saying um you know, the family is just a bourgeoisie advent there to to help the bourgeoisie have power. So like they're rejecting family in favor of, you know, the the workers of the world and then the 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 fascists they're saying, you know, family is good, you know, the German family or the Aryan family whatever like they're they're quote pro family. Today's nationalists um, like uh, I just was watching this morning, Ruben interviewing Orban, not Victor Orban, but another Orban from Hungary who agrees with Victor, who works with Victor. Um, he was saying, oh, well, like we use, you know, family is the pillar of foundation of society. So, you know, the government should should encourage family values, basically like the government should treat us all like a family. So they, they the left and the right, they look at family differently, but all of them agree that the that the individual is not it. Yeah. What do you um, say? Because you seem skeptical or thoughtful. Me? Yes. No, no, I haven't got a comment on uh, on that. I was uh, I was trying to gather my thoughts on Mussolini and Lenin, but that's for another topic. Let, let's let's move on with the super chats. All right, uh, Joni Spinoza has been a member for two months, and he says time to turn volume up to Sepigi. Sepigi? Do you know what he's saying? I don't know. Um, Mark sent us 50 SEKs. Is that the Swedish crone? We, we love the Swedish. We like the way they look. We like their currency. We, ha- we like when they watch. And sorry, we didn't do an episode for your own uh, inter- uh, interesting elections that you had recently. And uh, your own, uh, again, the party which is in power in Sweden is a party which is a brother party with brothers of Italy. Oh, great. Or a sister go, party, I should say. Way to go, Sweden. God damn. Excuse my language. All right. Uh, but anyway, Mark says, is this party in any meaningful sense conservative or just panders to conservatives or is mainly nationalists? I mean, what does the conservative even mean at a certain point? Usually conservatives today are just echoing what progressives, quote unquote, progressives were saying, you know, in, in a previous generation. They basically I've always said they go through the trash can of the left and they just take stuff that the left has gotten bored of. So the left used to be all about. You know, the, the progressives invented nationalism. They invented protectionism. And today that's like a conservative value, right? Protectionism and creating jobs, quote unquote, here at home and and national interest and all that BS. So it's like, what does conservative really mean? What do you mean, Mark, in the chat room when you ask, is this really a meaningfully conservative uh, party? Like, what would it mean for them to be meaningfully conservative? Nowadays, I would say conservatism is just a form of 
populist nationalism with with some mercantilistic uh, economics thrown in. And so you're right. It's basically it's basically progressivism 100 years ago or 80 years ago. <laughs> Yeah. The way Respighi is an Italian composer, our uh, great uh, producer says. Oh, well, the Italians say what you will, but uh, their music and their opera uh, is decent. Uh, Roland with 199 euros says, here's to help defeat the l- likes of Orban. Like he was going to say the left, but the l- likes of Orban. <laughs> Thanks. Every penny counts. Uh, Ellie has been a member for five months and says, is if this is history repeating itself and we know it, then can we look back at history and figure out how to stop it? Uh, yes, but it, uh, it requires a lot of people questioning what they currently believe or adopting new beliefs that they don't currently hold. And that is, uh, that is what philosophy is all about. So, But hey, uh, there's one thing I would want to take from... Uh from uh, the populists and back in the day from uh, the communists, their political energy and their, their, their understanding of propaganda, their understanding of how to connect to the masses. So their ideas sucked, but there's a lot to be learned from how they did politics, minus the violence. So, is there? Yeah, is there, there is. Well, there, 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 I, think, I think there is. Uh, but, you know, what socialism has that I, I don't think capitalism has behind it is a sort of mythology. It has a narrative that, that is romantic in a sense. And so I think we individualists, even though we have Atlas Shrugged, we have the Fountainhead, um, we need to find an even, a, 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 even a better narrative, a, a better mythology that people can connect to and get behind romantically. Because that's, that's essentially what attracts people. It, it's, a, it's emotional, it's, a ba- it's very basic. And we need to touch those chords. And this is not to say we don't appeal to reason, we appeal to something else. This is that, no, we use our arsenal, we, we use our tools in the best way. And this is, this is, what, uh, this is what we're not doing uh, good enough. I mean, I think uh, when you get too, in, uh, too focused on politics, you run the risk of losing sight of the real battle. And... And becoming yeah, not the, but I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about how you connect and how you pass your message. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, for Mark, exa- Mark, yeah. After all, narrative of history, it's a narrative of the way people interact, and it's and it's a romantic narrative in a sense, in the way that it in the way that it um, it describes the battle that's going on. People like people like the idea of the battle. You know, they like the idea of 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 uh, conflict and overcoming and and there's a heroism in this in this narrative tale that we could tell uh, I think better I think um, I'm, I'm such a politics is downstream from culture kind of guy that like to me like politics is basically going to sort of take care of itself if uh, people in the culture are focused on being selfish, like if people are inspired by art, et cetera, and they, they want a good life for themselves individually, then, uh, you know, political movements can't really distract them from that. And uh, various charlatans can't really manipulate them. And people are, they're not uh, susceptible to any political movement that's not there to sort of uh, enable their pursuit of happiness. So I tend to see politics as just like really almost, like just kind of almost, almost doesn't need to be fought. But I, even as I say that, I understand that in the meantime, there are battles that need to be waged, such as let's say you want 
uh, school of choice. You want a uh, school of choice, homeschooling rights, whatever, privatized education. These are very much things, abortion rights. These are things to fight for immediately. But uh, in terms of the major political change, I think it's only really going to have a good political change, like a one towards capitalism. Uh, the inspiration for that is not going to be sort of uh, seen as easily. It's not going to be as, as it's not going to be televised, that revolution. That's kind of, I hope that makes some sense. Um, no, I think you're right. But I think progressivism, uh, progressivism, uh, it, it was it came about as sort of a in a, in a pincer movement, to be honest with you, because uh, he, he, the culture at, at large, at the, the rise of the progressive movement was largely individualistic and capitalistic. It was a small minority of energized people, which I think Nikos was hitting at. I mean, when you think of the communist revolution, the Bolsheviks were a very small minority of energized people that were able to move an entire country in a certain direction. It was likewise- 1,000 members, they had 1,000 rural members in a country that was expanding in two continents. And yeah, but- And that- and, power. But that was in Russia. Thing with America, you had a few German transplants that it, that, uh, became entrenched in the educational world. They educated our political pundits and, and, and our politicians and, and the people who influenced the culture. And you had a few muckraking journalists who became authors and wrote fictions that really influenced people. Um, a very few energetic people, politically minded, did push our culture in this direction. It, for the last 125 years, have been influenced by those small groups of people. We could do the same thing. I think we could do the same thing if we have the same energy. But they were promoted by politicians. I mean, promoted by Roosevelt, promoted by Wilson, promoted by the progressive, you know, senators and the congressmen that, that passed progressive laws against us all. And eventually it became part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. Uh, so I guess um, I guess the a sort of a, a possible uh opposite uh, argument to that would be that the socialists, they were cashing in on people's sort of underlying altruistic premises. So yes, they were largely individualistic. And then these uh, socialists came along and sort of tugged at their heartstrings with appeals to altruism. And they were able to, to, uh, to have that effect. That along with uh, philosophical legwork being done for a century or two prior, uh, the influence of German philosophy and stuff like that, um, so, yeah, I guess I don't know if we disagree, per se. Uh, maybe we all agree that, yeah, energy is good. Inspiration is good. Um, the only thing I would say personally, I, th I see the political battle as like almost not even relevant. Like it'll take care of itself uh, when the philosophical and artistic and sort of um, battle for selfishness sort of takes place. That's where I, I do think politics is downstream from culture. Uh, and I and I do think it plays a huge part in in the way politics goes. But I think you also have to wage the war on the political level. All right. Well, then let's do it, guys. Uh, going back in the chat, we got what's going uh, on there. Nico? Oh, what's going on, Nikos? You got something? No, 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 no. I'm uh, I'm having some examples in mind, but I'll be, I'll, I'll be opening kind of warm. So let's continue. I was thinking of I was thinking of Iran. 
But I thought, okay, if I give Iran as an example to how our movement can be successful, then I'll have a lot of explaining to do. So continue with this. Well, not all, well, whether it's Iran or Russia, these are not America. You know, these are not England. These are not enlightenment countries. These are basically a blank, a blank canvas for somebody to paint on compared to a place like America. That's, that's kind of how I see it. You know, yeah. the Bolsheviks could not have violently taken over America. Uh, they needed to take an ass backward farm country like Russia. Um, Ashley shrugged with 199 says, referring to the uh, Italian prime minister, her LGBTQ and abortion stances are frightening. Uh, I'm going to guess there the new party is elected is anti-abortion or largely going to curtail abortion rights um, and probably pull back some of the gay rights, such as gay marriage, uh, stuff like that. Particularly marriage and anything that has to do with raising uh, with raising children. So, but again, yeah. let's see how this will be translated. And again, she's not going to govern alone. Although the two parties she will govern with, the one is Liga North of Matteo Salvini, the other one is Berlusconi's uh, uh, party. It's really interesting to watch Dave Rubin, who is, you know, married to a man and they, they've not adopted, but they've surrogated, I think, two boys separately. Maybe I'm, I'm a guess. I'm assuming each one of them is the is the biological father of one baby. So they basically had two babies a few months apart with two with two different women. Um, and as this is happening, Rubin is also, I hate to say, sort of like selling himself to this nationalist conservative movement. So he's like uh, interviewing these uh, th this this guy from Hungary, not not Viktor Orban, but the other Orban from Hungary. And Ruben's asking, yeah, so what if someone's not Christian? Let's say they're an atheist or they're gay. Like what will what will be their fate in this new uh, order of things? And and I'm like, you know, Ruben, like, do you even have to ask? Do you even have to ask? You really think these people are going to let you and your husband adopt uh, or father two boys? Uh, anyway, tragic. Tragic. Uh, Allie with $2 American says, what prompted for the majority vote? Good job on show. Uh, what prompted the majority vote? What prompted the majority vote? So does this mean why, why, why they voted for here? So first of all, she hasn't got majority votes, got 20 something uh, percent. And again, these were the elections with very, very significant low Turn around. So again, it's not that there was an enthusiastic uh, rush, uh, and and she's not she's not very charismatic as a as a politician. Of course, it's not easy to win the elections with a relatively new party. The parties are like ten years old, but I don't. She's a bit like Le Pen, which means she's riding a wave. But I think these people have a very clear ceiling. Both Le Pen and uh, Maloney, I don't see them as. Uh, uh, very charismatic and as able to lead like a huge social movement or something. Uh, Christopher Smith sent over 299 Canadian and says, cool. Thank you for that. Uh, those thank are all you. the super chats. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. Um, looks like we lost Mark uh, at least temporarily. So yeah, the same guy who says we need to uh, charismatically uh, fight the political battle, won't even fight the podcast battle <laughs> without leaving. Apparently producing TV shows is more important than saving the world. Uh, coming up today at 9 p.m. UK time, it's Ask Me Anything with Harry Binswanger on HBTV. Bring those super chats and ask him the tough questions. Believe me. Uh, trust me on this. He'll answer them. Oh, he will, he will hold no punches. Anyway, yeah, uh, looking forward to that. Thanks, Nikos. Thank you, Mark, wherever you are. 
And thank you all for watching. We'll be back here tomorrow for the Daily Objective. And goodbye.